is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Mesh Tsunami podcast. This week, we're offering five conversations from episode three, our discussion on the new nozzled nomenclature. Plus, from the vault, a discussion from Easel 2023 about the nomenclature presentation, which was originally presented formally there. Last June, Jorn Schottenberg, Louise Campbell, and I wrapped up Easel 2023 with a series of episodes about key events. In this discussion from episode 33, Ian Rowe and Sven Franca join us to discuss the new nomenclature and some very early seeds in how hepatologists are using it in office practice. We cover a few other topics as well. The episode has a fairly complete summary at its beginning, so I'll let my 2023 voice take over to share it with you. Today, we are offering four conversations from episode 33. Our discussion with Sven Frank and Ian Rowe about some of the most important findings from ESOL Congress 2023, plus a vault episode addressing a similar topic after last year's ILC, or International Living Congress, the one now known as the ESOL Congress. This conversation focuses largely on the outcome of the nomenclature process, a three-stage Delphi process that produced new names and classifications for what had previously been known as fatty liver disease, and henceforth will be known as steatotic liver disease. It starts with Sven Frank, who was actively involved in the entire exercise, giving a concise summary of the process by which the new classifications were developed and how the new terminology will work. The rest of the conversation focuses on three issues. First, excitement that we will now have the opportunity to study patients whose disease has both metabolic and alcohol-based components. Second, the processes by which the three clinicians, Sven, Ian Rowe, and Jorn Schottenberg, are starting to socialize the new structure with their patients with varying degrees of success. One interesting observation from Sven, the English language terms do not translate neatly into Dutch, so there is a patient-advocate-led effort to create a new set of terms in Dutch. Third, my twin concerns about implementation planning for the new nomenclature, with one concern about its possible impact on drug or diagnostic development, and the other about the kinds of communication issues covered earlier in the conversation. Sven, who again, work closely on the process, stated with fair confidence that the change will not have impact on drug or diagnostic trials. Our entire key opinion leader and advocate team has been struck forcibly by how many studies provided significant advances in knowledge and how some of these advances might change our underlying understandings of drugs, diagnostics, artificial intelligence, machine learning, basic science, and clinical pathways in patient treatment. It's been quite a lot to digest and very exciting to consider. So sit back, listen, learn, enjoy. And when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. And again, join us next week. Sven, if you want to spend a little bit of time talking about nomenclature, I think that that would be a good place to start. Ian Rowe. I think we should a little bit. You know, I asked Ian when we started, when we were offline, whether he uh, he's changed his wording with regards to patients. And I guess I'd ask Sven the same thing. I'll be interested to learn. Yes, Sven, in his note on what we might talk about today, I suggested we might talk about nomenclature. So I'll let you start where you want to, and then we'll go back to Jorn's question. Sven Frank. Well, of course, I can start with the fact that in the end, after a long Delphi consensus, global Delphi consensus process, Process, we finally reached at least the end result of consensus process, which does not mean, of course, that it's the end of the whole story. But I think it's it's a milestone where the consensus finally was to, first of all, have the overarching term of steatotic liver disease. Uh, and I think it's it's very important to emphasize that it's not just, that it's not meant to reclassify whatever disease, but it just to make everybody think every time that when there is liver steatosis, you should think of all the different causes of steatosis and not just pick out one and then forget all, all the others. So that, that's mainly the aim of the overarching term of steatotic liver disease. And then when it comes specifically to NAFLD, then of course the replacement term is MASLD, but it's not just the replacement term, it comes with the definition, like also the NAFLD proposal came with, with the definition. So I think that's important that we finally tell that it's steatosis in the context of metabolic dysfunction 
definition and provide the definition of that that is practical. None of these definitions is perfect, but it's practical. So that's an important uh, step, I think. Uh, what is also important in the new nomenclature is, uh, and I think that's, that's a true advantage, is that clearly it does allow you to combine the metabolic dysfunction-associated problems with other causes. In, in FOD, it was a diagnosis of exclusion. So although we all realized that you could combine these different things in terms of making a formal diagnosis, you couldn't. And that has also had some influence on the research that we have been doing all over these years. Now you can clearly say, okay, this patient has metabolic dysfunction associated liver disease has something else at the same time and you can analyze separately those those combined entities of course one of the most frequent combinations is the use of alcohol and metabolic risk factors the the delphi panel in the end felt that this combination is so frequent and so important that it needed a separate name which is the met aod but here again the most important thing is it's a combination of causes and you should not ignore no one nor, nor the other. So that are, to me, the most uh, important takeaways from, from the nomenclature and, and, and the tools it gives us to improve on some of the issues that we had with, with NAFOD in, in the past. And then, of course, it's the term steatotic in, instead of fatty because for a substantial a part of the patient population that is stigmatizing or felt as stigmatizing. So it was thought that we should get rid of that and that's why it's the more neutral scientific term steatotic and we get rid of the fatty and stigmatizing too. So thank you, Sven. I think that's a, that's an excellent summary of a whole bunch of stuff in a hurry. I will tell you parenthetically that if we've been trying to figure out what to do with the name of this podcast, I've given everybody the same puzzle, which is, can you say the, the words steatotic tsunami five times fast? And I've not yet found anyone who can do it, including me, and I'm usually pretty good at that stuff. So it won't be steatotic tsunami, no, huh? it will not be the steatotic tsunami or the tsunami steatotic, however you want to say it, it's not going to be that, right? <laughs> I think Sven summarized it very nicely. You know, the part I'm excited about is I think we are starting to open the door to study a obese metabolically patient population that consumes a little bit more than no alcohol and to run clinical trials in that arena is something I'm really looking forward to. Uh, so I think the nomenclature opens up uh, opportunities here for patients and drug development. Absolutely. And I think the advantage is that it clearly identifies it and that was a little bit the problem we were struggling with or it was excluded or it was, yeah, a little bit uh, mixed up but without clearly defining it, I think now it's it's more clearly defined, so it, it's a better tool to, to work with. Well, Naeem Alcor used to refer to it as baffled, which I think covered it on several fronts, one of them being that everybody was confused about how to, how to research or, or deal with it because there wasn't a place to put it, right, for patients with mixed problem, um, with both. I agree with that. I think that was a real benefit in your, and I, I agree with you, I think, in terms of the clarity around the definition of the disease. This is a really good step forward. I agree with that part. I then, I get to yours other question, though, to Ian, about have you folks started using the new terminology with patients? Ian Rowe. Not a great deal. I mean, we've started sort of saying it, but I, mean, I think the reality is that there is a barrier between metabolic dysfunction associated steatotic liver disease and patient understanding. And I'm going to struggle to get past that and describing it as fatty liver disease with or without fibrosis, which is, you know, because that's the, the important thing and, and recognizing what the underlying risk factors are. And there's a big question about how it's communicated, you know, what language is used, plain language to aid understanding, and then the disease label, if you like, and how that's interpreted by patients outside of the specialty. So patients who are already living with obesity and diabetes who don't know about liver disease and who've never seen a hepatologist. And you know, there's a huge amount of work to do there. We know that 
we only know a very small proportion of the patients and what the impact is of you know the language and the words that are used and the explanations that are given outside of specialty practice I think is the well it's one of many next steps. Jorn have you started using uh, the terminology with patients yet how's it working for you if you are? Not fully I think in the patient engagement really nothing has changed in the clinical trials that I'm running also the nomenclature is not important you know here we struggle with NITs with biopsy with safety and these type of issues it's the reaching outside of the field it's getting the primary care physicians I think Ian you mentioned that to buy in and as Sven said to define it positively and say this is metabolic liver disease is a big step forward and it's also as Sven said a patient driven decision you know not using fat in the name so I think when I talk to physicians I gave two talks more recently and I spend five to ten minutes trying to you know explain them how we got there why we did this and not just mention the the name change try to dwell on that a little bit and then followed up with some new data but I think when we talk to peers that's important and that's where I spend more time I guess if I have a concern about this and I do there are two of them and they're both about impact but the specific one that's more important well they're both important but one can easily be disproven the other's going to have to get worked out over time which is exactly what you just said you're on any end which is this is not an easy concept to communicate and we've traded off the risk of some people would be stigmatized for making this really easy to explain I was told that I'm not empathic when I made that comment to uh, a certain patient advocate but my point was that um, we need to make this easy for primary care to explain in 12 minutes visit. We need to make it easy for patients to understand. And I believe we'll get there. But I would have loved to have seen that work done before the rollout. That getting to the end of the Delphi process should have been the beginning of the next stage, which should have been, let's do some work systematically on how to roll it out and on how to get the name out and how to do the education in advance so that people aren't just kind of stumbling through it. I think the change was good. I think the Delphi process was good. That piece of the implementation concerns me a little bit. We'll learn over time whether this is just my marketing research background coming to the fore and saying, boy, it's hard to communicate things that are easy. It's got to be really hard to communicate things that are hard or whether I'm just overly cautious. I think over time, this will turn out to be a great thing because as you pointed out correctly, Sven, it's lent a bunch of clarity to how we think about the disease. Mm-hmm. It's just in the process, it's made it more granular, which makes it harder to explain if you're trying to get the, if you're trying to paint the big picture. Well, I, I think you have a fair point about the communication and the education behind it, but I think we, we couldn't wait much longer to get this process to an end, but it's not, it's just a milestone. There's a lot of work to do, but also explaining non-alcoholic fatty liver disease to patients is also not an easy... To me, there's not so much difference in explaining one or the two names to, to a patient. And you start off mainly as, as Ian said, with saying, okay, you have fatty liver disease or now we will call it steatotic liver disease and then explain what, what the causes are. And that's usually how, how it goes. That doesn't really change so much. It's in the end, the acronym and the name for the patient, but you start off with, with a lot of more explanation and you end with, with MASLD or NAFLD, that's not so much of a difference in the end, I think, in patient communication. I must say that uh, the Dutch patient organization uh, was preparing a short version of the, the patient guideline that we issued a few years ago with ESOL and AASO and the patient organizations. And they waited to get it out because the new nomenclature was there and, and they are now adapting also the Dutch translation to the new nomenclature and trying to find appropriate 
with Dutch terms for the new scientific scientific terms. So it's interesting to see. It's a whole exercise to really find a, a good translation because the, yeah, the, the English terminology for us is quite quite familiar, but to translate into different non-English languages is not always as straightforward as it as it seems. I'm sure that's right. That makes complete sense. It's good that they're doing that. It's obviously an important step forward. Other than that, I mean, the only other question I had was whether, in fact, it's going to have any impact on any of the clinical trial definitions that we're using, if we've changed the disease definition, particularly whether the regulators are going to deal with this at all. I don't think for the current trials it will have much of an impact. I mean, the patient population is the same, and in a clinical trial, you want a homogeneous population. So for the time being, whether it's NAFOD or MASOD as a single etiology, it won't make much of a difference because if it's a pure MASOD trial, you will exclude patients with significant alcohol use because they have a, a double. You, you don't want any competing etiology or you can specifically study it if you combine etiologies. But for most of the trials, you want just one single etiology disease and not a concomitant other chronic liver disease. So that will not make much of a difference. The small difference is that with the positive definition and the criteria, there will always be a few people that might not meet those criteria. It will be one to three percent of the patient population you currently have in a clinical trial that might not meet the definition of the mass of D. But if you make the exercise for most of the clinical trials, it's about 100% overlap between the old NAFOD definition and the new MASOD definition as a single etiology if you exclude concomitant significant alcohol use. So it has no impact on the interpretation of the data from the clinical trials that have been conducted so far. And as Jorn said, it will be very interesting to study also outside the classical NAFOD population in patients that combine risk factors for steatotic liver disease, but that's then a specific other patient population that you need to define. That I agree with, and I think that's an excellent point that, that you made and you made, which is that that's a large population. People, We've been motivating people to lie about that if we want to get them into clinical trials, or we close our eyes to what their real situation is. And it will be helpful to be able to take them where they sit, stand, lie, whatever their habits are, and know that accurately and have categorizations for them and ways to research them. I, thought, I think that's a fantastic thing and a big, big step forward. Sven, thanks for bringing that. Thanks for, it's good we took a few minutes to talk about it. Um, Jorn, thanks for a question about bringing it to real patients. Oh, Sven, we didn't ask you, are you bringing it to your patients yet? Yes, slowly. As I said, struggling a little bit with, with appropriate Dutch translation of the scientific terminology. So there's uh, no consensus yet on how, well, you have some variations on the words to use. But as I said, I mainly start, as Ian said, with explaining about steatotic liver disease and the causes, and then you come to say what the name is, and then they they understand. So I'm gradually introducing the new nomenclature. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content in this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded this conversation or send an email to questions at surfingmash.com. We'll be back next week to discuss what we know about mazel epidemiology today. Until then, stay safe, surf on. We'll see you next week on the podcast. Bye now.